0: This April, the Moonshot Podcast Network is doing something new, unparalleled, something nobody has done before. We're asking you for money. This month is the first-ever Moonshot Patreon Drive. Between April 1st and 30th, we're hoping to bring in 30 new and upgrading patrons to patreon.com slash moonshot network. That's one per day. The money we make on Patreon is what helps our podcasters get things like new mics, show art, and music. It also helps us put on our bigger streaming events, advertise our shows, and think even bigger. If you know us, you know we like to think bigger. Join the Patreon in April, and you'll get a bunch of Drive-exclusive new podcasts, including actual plays, improv comedy, and a roundtable show with some of the hosts of our book talk shows like Three Little Words and Cahooligans. $5 Patreons get to join us for a game night on our Minecraft server on April 7th where we take down the Ender Dragon together. You hate that guy, so do we. Help us kill him. You'll also get access to all of our usual monthly output like Once Missed Wonders, early episodes of Champs in the Making, and more. So please join us or upgrade with us today on Patreon for $1, $3, or $5 at patreon.com slash Moonshot Network. Visit us on Patreon or at Moonshot Pods on Twitter for more details about the drive. Patreon.com slash Moonshot Network.
1: and welcome back to another episode of unwise girls i'm your host jacqueline and i'm your other host jane and we're your favorite podcast about all the books of rick riordan today we're continuing the house of hades how are you doing today jane i'm
2: doing good i'm feeling refreshed i'm energized we're recording much earlier than usual so it's like daylight outside
1: yes yes truly
2: novel experience for me
1: I'm so sorry, uh, no, I yeah, yeah, we listeners, uh you may be listening to this when it comes out on Friday. uh, we are currently listening to this uh as we talk about it as i as we record it on Friday, so <laughs> there was some technical issues,
2: some summaries that
1: someone was supposed to have written it, but they didn't some some laptops that uh broke uh but were fixed. hey, your laptop was fine. My laptop was fine. It was my charger, but I really thought it was the laptop. Yeah. The the very nice person at the tech repair place lent me like a loaner uh, new charger adapter thing.
2: Which is like eight different plugs on like a strip.
1: It was like eight different plugs and like something that can like... I don't, I don't exactly know, but he said like... It sounded very convincing. He said like I should buy this <laughs> thing where it was like an adapter that like could go for like any USB-C port. So like if I if i had different ones in the future it would still work so i don't know it sounded it sounded cool
2: did you did you get bamboozled by a overzealous salesman
1: i don't th- he seems nice right like he's he's something before he no he's been pretty straightforward <laughs> with us like he, he'll, okay. he'll say like oh this is a cheaper option if you want to do this different thing instead of going through me um i guess it's still possible but he he, I, th- I think it was it was normal uh, okay uh, but speaking of things that are very normal, should we talk about uh, these chapters? Oh, the most
2: normal chapters in the book that don't contain something that we've been talking about on and off since at least book three.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs>
2: <laughs> chapter 33 Jason Jason is once again knocked unconscious during a fight and has a dream where he sees Rachel Elizabeth, Dare and Grover meeting under a truce flag with Octavian and Rayna on a stormy rooftop in New York. Rachel hands over Annabeth's message from Tartarus, which explains that Reyna needs to return the Athena Parthenos to Camp Half-Blood, to bring peace between the camps. She also drops that Ella the Harpy does not want to return to Camp Jupiter and is now dating Tyson at Camp Half-Blood. Raina agrees to take a Pegasus across the Atlantic to get the statue, and orders Octavia not to start anything until she gets back, which she, obvi- which she obviously will do anyway. Chapter 34, Jason. Jason wakes up and tells the rest of the crew about his dream. They're relieved to hear that Annabeth is alive enough to have sent a message, but concerned that Reyna won't know how to find the Argo II and collect the statue. Thankfully, Jason remembers that he and Reyna had once planned that if they were ever able to go to Europe together, they'd go to Croatia and check out the palace of Diocletian, the last pagan Roman emperor. Jason wants to go there and leave a message for Reyna, laying out their route so that she can meet up with them and take the statue, and Nico tags along, since apparently Diocletian's scepter could be buried in this palace, and it can summon an army of ghosts to help them. Chapter 35, Jason. Jason and Nico see a weird Angel Guy when they come ashore in Croatia, and follow him to the ruins of Diocletian's palace. Nico mentions that he's been to the palace before, back in the 1930s, but Jason can't probe any further about it because he continues to be angsty and mysterious. The Angel Guy slips into an underground tomb that housed Diocletian's remains, and the pair follow him. Jason leaves the note for Raina before they catch up with the mysterious figure, who introduces himself as Favonius, god of the west wind. He tells him that his master, Eros slash Cupid, has taken the sceptre. To get it, he tells Nico that he must face the love god and deal with his feelings towards the one he cares for the most, which Jason thinks is going to be pretty awkward since he's heard Nico has a crush on Annabeth. Regardless, they set off to go and do the thing. Chapter 36, Jason. Favonia brings them to Salona, capital of Croatia during Roman times and home of his master, Cupid. He tells the pair that he ended up serving Cupid as repentance for getting in a quarrel with Apollo, over who would get to hook up with a dude named Hyacinthus. He tells Nico not to let his anger rule him the way it did him, and then pieces out to let the demigods duke it out with Cupid. Cupid comes in and starts attacking them both physically and mentally, needling Jason about his insecurities in his relationship with Piper, and Nico about his embarrassing crush. Long story short, the truth is eventually forced out, which is that Nico is so withdrawn because he's grappling with the fact that he had slash has a crush on Percy. And that's not something he's really equipped to deal with, Thankfully, this fairly traumatic experience ends with them at least getting the scepter and heading back to the Argo, with Jason promising not to tell a soul about this without Nico's permission. Chapter 37, Annabeth. Back in Tartarus, Bob continues to lug Percy towards the friendly giant, with Annabeth in tow as she stews over the fact that Aphrodite probably made this happen, because she promised to make their love lives interesting. They arrive in a swamp, but are waylaid by a dracon, who the pair have no hope of defeating. Chapter 38, Annabeth. But thankfully, the giant who lives in this swamp can kill it handily, protecting Bob and Annabeth in the process. He starts carving it up for meat and tells them that he'll take a look at Percy, although he seems to be having his doubts about trusting the demigods. So Jacqueline, what do you think of these chapters?
1: I thought they were interesting. I thought they were pretty good. Uh, There's there's some stuff happening.
2: I don't know if you can tell from the summaries, but uh, one set of chapters has significantly more to talk about
1: than the others. (laughs) That yes, that is true. I struggled. I I very much struggled to think of things when I was writing notes for, for the <laughs> end of sections. Th- this is sometimes the way of podcasting, though. Uh, what did you think?
2: Uh, I thought uh, these chapters were also really good. It's it's nice to it's nice to be with Jason again. Get a bit of his perspective. Got a, a little bit of a horrifically traumatic forced outing. Uh, yeah, as ice cream
1: yeah you love all of it right <laughs> <laughs> it's true. These are all the things
2: that i want in a book
1: exactly i so here's the thing we have been this is not a surprise or spoiler for you really no. right there you, you, this is not the 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 nico the nico gay reveal i think this was
2: something i had like absorbed through cultural osmosis before we even started doing the podcast
1: yeah yeah basically um and but I this is definitely one of the parts that I remember the most, uh, from first reading it. And I am mm. incredibly, just I, incredibly interested to talk about it in depth because I think there are a lot of layers to what are happening. But do we want to do we want to maybe talk around it at first? Maybe talk about how some how the chapters begin.
2: I think so. I think that's this is kind of that's kind of the big thing to kind of dive into. later. we should do the odds and ends.
1: Yeah. So. I I want to talk first about so we're back with Jason for the first time in a, a little while. Is it the first time in mm. this book entirely? I think so. Uh, and which is really interesting because we've gotten like we're we're not following a set pattern exactly. Like we've had two sets of Hazel chapters, for instance. Mm-hmm. And so that, that that confirms that like we're not just kind of going in a, a, a loop uh, like one might expect. But Jason is having I I am like fascinated by everything going on in jason's brain <laughs> <laughs>
2: jason's such a weird little freak just like he's all so of
1: them. he's so weird he okay he has so many like internalized notions about things uh, <laughs> a lot of which come through when he's talking about like the fawns did you notice God. this uh,
2: yeah no i the Whenever Rick Ryder is talking about the Fawns in these books, this is when I am at my most sincere. Shut the fuck up, you old fossil.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> because Jason in chapter thirty-three is like, oh wow, like it's so weird to see a satyr doing things because like the ones the the Fawns back at uh, Camp Jupiter are all just lazy beggars. <laughs> And then he says and... in
2: chapter 34, maybe this is a reform I could do when I get back to New Rome. Maybe the fawns would do better if we expected more of them.
1: Yeah, he says that maybe the fawns could be brave like the like the Greek satyrs, the Roman demigods expected more of... Jason! Oh my god, Jason. Up. He is... He's taking some bad lessons away from this. It's interesting <laughs> because, like, super explicitly in that book, I feel like, the, the fawns were being portrayed as like, I mean maybe not maybe not as explicitly as we thought. I'm not sure, but like they were portrayed as like homeless people who were like being forced into these situations by the by the state of just like the Camp Jupiter New Rome politic, right?
2: I I, I wonder if maybe the, the the crossed wire here is that that is what's happening, but Rick Ryden doesn't recognize that that's a bad thing.
1: I. <laughs> I think there is a level of cognitive dissonance you have to have for that to be mm-hmm. true that I think Rick Riordan may, may possess. Like, but I also think that like there's a mental block that happens in like the minds of, I'll say like the common American or whatever, <laughs> um, where they a, a certain type of common American at least, uh, where they can largely agree that like it's bad that people are. Like, without homes, uh, but also they will just as easily say, like, "Oh, well, they should really try harder,
2: <laughs> mm they gotta they gotta pull themselves up by those bootstraps, but the problem is that you can't get boots onto hooves,
1: yes, exactly, and they won't. <laughs> they can't necessarily square that those ideas into like there is a problem that is causing people to be uh, like unhoused Mm -hmm. uh and it is not their fault exactly uh so i i feel like maybe that's where cryogen is at it's fucking odd jason jason has some ideas j jason is yeah it's 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 also it's in a
2: broader sense this is part of his like He's he's thinking maybe there are ways that I can change Camp Jupiter to be more Greek. And he talks about how this is kind of this has come from like um he always felt like a bit of an outsider, a bit of an outcast, never quite played by the rules. And I don't know that that's true of anything we've seen of Jason's character. Jason is a follower, right? Jay- Jason up to this point has seemed like a completely dutiful and like bought-in soldier.
0: He
1: I can see him being like, although the way that he says he is rebellious makes sense to me, and the way that is like, it's not really rebellious. Like uh-huh. the the things that he he's not rebelling against power structures as much he as he is like somewhat going against tradition, but still acting within those structures. Yeah, like he'll 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 go he'll still be within a legion. He'll just go with like the loser legion, right? Uh, he will. His loser legion. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh he will advocate for like renaming them like the First Legion. It's very like surface level aesthetic stuff that he rebels against, rather than anything super important, I think.
2: We should rename the drug squad uh the community support officers.
1: Yeah. Yeah, right? That is Jason's sort of MO. And because of that, he, he is rebellious, but that still kind of meshes with his character that we've discussed, his very passive character. He will, mm-hmm. he will go along with things. And it seems like that's sort of still the case, right? He is passively absorbing Camp Half-Blood. Yeah, he, he's, not,
2: he's not really thinking abstractly about why Camp Half-Blood is better or why he likes it more. He just thinks, I like Camp Half-Blood more and therefore Camp Jupiter should be more like Camp Half-Blood.
1: Exactly. There's not a, like, a lot of critical reasoning happening here.
2: But I do wonder if this is maybe like... I mean, this, this is maybe like a step up from where he used to be. Because he mentions that he hadn't really like realized that he was keeping this tally of reforms to make until now. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this could be like the fallout from the end of Mark of Athena. Because we saw like he was as pissed off with Bacchus as Percy was during that fight. And I wonder if this is maybe like the first... The first like conscious inklings that he's having of like maybe this sucks actually,
1: I think so. Right? Like I think that what is happening here is sort of a a transformation or a progression of character. Mm. Everything that he is, everything that he is thinking, everything that he is like the ideas he has gained are because of who he is and who he was. Like this passive character who is who is like sort of like everything we just described. But he's not putting that toward just sort of continuing upon the same arc. He is developing in a way, but mm. it's not like, it's a very consistent development. I, I think yeah. Rick Riordan is writing a consistent character here. Speaking of Jason being kind of, kind of passive,
2: uh, we also learn a bit about his history with Raina here. <laughs> There's some very juicy stuff.
1: The words, like, leading her on come up here. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, t- tell us a little bit about this. Jason is
2: essentially—he um, goes to this like dream rooftop. He sees Raina and he feels like a pang of guilt, and he reflects on his relationship with her from like before Lost Hero, and says, "I never really led her on, but I also didn't really discourage her either, just by knowing that he didn't really like her back."
1: Yeah, yeah. And what's very interesting is this is something that Jason kind of did with piper too right
2: yeah with piper it very much seemed like piper was pursuing that relationship and jason was kind of at best oblivious
1: right right so this is kind of like his mode uh i think i think there is like a read you could make um of jason as like this guy who doesn't have a lot of like stuff tied up in like romantic feelings at all Uh, Mm uh but i i think what i'm taking away from this especially is jason is super like this is something where he will let the other party do what they want like he will he will let them uh like, he will let them believe what they want to believe he will let them pursue what they want to pursue uh, like until it gets to a breaking point basically Mm-hmm. yeah definitely and i also
2: think it like Knowing this explicitly also plays into like we talked a lot about um, the contrasts between Jason and Percy when we were doing uh, Son of Neptune, and I think this is another thing to throw in the pile. Like Percy is just a much more active character because when Rayner made a move on him, Percy p- p- shut it down immediately.
1: Yeah, yeah, basically, right? Uh, there is a lot of interesting. This is if there is an if there's a unifying theme throughout these chapters, even the ones with Annabeth. It is like romantic love, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Percy and Jason very much are set up again, are set up in parallel to each other there. I I'm very interested in like Jason's view on Rain. I wanna know more about this because he he has a lot of it seems like he does have some guilt tied up in this. hmm Uh and I I guess I'm interested in the meeting again because we haven't really had a Jason and Rana conversation yet.
2: Yeah, no, they, they talk very briefly at the start of Mark of Athena, and apart from that, we've seen nothing between them.
1: So, I... Yeah, that that is that is what I'm excited for. We also get... Uh, speaking of Reyna, we get a little... Uh, I think this is where it is revealed that she is... Uh, I guess revealed. Uh, like, that's kind of a strange word clarified. to use. Like, clarified. Clarified uh, that she is Puerto Rican. Which I didn't know about. That's cool. It's one of those things that is like... Rick Riordan is... Kind of backfilling, I guess. Like there wasn't a lot of information on, uh, her or her sister's background in general. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess it makes sense.
2: Like the the Sea of Monsters is like in the in the Caribbean. Wait, am I stupid that is, is that where Puerto Rico is?
1: No. Yeah, you're right.
2: Yeah. Being GCSE geography paying
1: off. <laughs> good work. Good work. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so it does make sense that like they would end up. With the fucking Cersei and such, uh, the
2: Hamster Collective, whatever the fuck that was.
1: There, there is a, the Hamster Collective is a really good. <laughs> um, that's my band name. Uh, I, I. There is a a bit here where it is revealed like her full name. I don't remember it exactly, but like I think Leo jokes afterward. Maybe Frank even like oh is her full like is her is her are her initials raw raw.
2: It's no it's it's worse than that. Grover jokes about
1: that to her face.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh Grover. Grover's back. Grover's back and ineffectual as ever.
1: He he's trying. He's trying, right? <laughs> the first the first Grover scene we've gotten in books and books and books and he is he's trying to be like an active political like advocate, right?
2: hmm he's here representing uh, the council of cloven elders
1: but how successful is he in that well it's the kind of successful where he's like i'm here representing the council and everyone's like what the fuck is the council who cares he he dunks on himself for his music playing
2: ability and that's about it
1: basically yeah yeah <laughs> uh, Ra- rachel's really the star of the show in this scene Rachel fucking I I did not know
2: that I needed a face off between Octavian and Rachel but it kind of rules it does yeah where Octavian is like standing around and like squawking and screaming with like his, uh, his belt which is covered in like sacrificial animal toys and he's like he's yelling at Rachel about how she's not a real prophet and she just like manifests a bunch of like green misty snakes to fly around him and then keeps talking like nothing happened while he's scared shitless it's so good
1: it's really good <laughs> he like tries to be a big badass here a little bit and like sees mm-hmm. them like we have to we have to take her hostage and we have to like we have to uh, make them give back Ella who oh it is confirmed is now dating tyson uh mm-hmm. but he's you could, he's obviously scared right oh absolutely he's he's
2: kind of worked his way into this position of power and now has absolutely no idea what to do with it.
1: It's, it's, it's incredible, especially by the end of these chapters, uh, by the end of this chapter, specifically when Octavia is like, he obviously has some evil plan he's going to do, uh, mm. like while Reyna is away that is like going between her commands a little bit, but he really just seems like such a stooge. He seems, he
2: seems like a stooge. I, I don't understand why Reyna doesn't just kill him.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: I know, I know, it's a kids' book, and I know that Raina is kind of like supposed to be a good guy, but she is a Roman praetor, and there is no prouder Roman tradition than
1: assassinating
2: your political enemies.
1: She should have killed him at some point. She should have been like, "Oops, looks like the like the the fucking hairy guys, the hairy dwarf guys, uh, like killed him and killed him in, in a sleep." Well, well, that's terrible. Just shove him
2: off this roof, like he's so obviously going to, like, immediately go against your orders the second your back is turned. because Apparently because she's going to Europe, that means she gives up her position as Praetor, which effectively leaves him in command of the entire army. Uh-huh. Like, it, it, it solves so many problems if, instead of continuing to, like, negotiate and give ground to him by, like, saying, oh, we'll put on these show trials that will maybe avert the war and stuff like that, if she just killed him.
1: Yeah, I... I... <sighs>
2: Maybe he has some loyalists. Kill them too.
1: <laughs> Honestly, yes. <laughs> like I Rena, it seems the most conflicted about this entire conflict. Uh, I guess everyone in a conflict is conflicted, but uh, Octavia doesn't of how, seem to be that conflicted. That I guess I mean that etymologically, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but she seems to be the most unsure about all this. I don't see why she wouldn't just undermine it.
2: Yeah, she's. She very much seems to be like, she's going along with this because this is the process TM and she can't really subvert it. And I would say Octavian already tried to kill someone in Son of Neptune, so uh, he already escalated. It's, it's your job to match him.
1: God, yeah. <laughs> Rena killing Octavian 2k fucking 14 or whenever this book came out, <laughs> I, I need it to happen.
2: Please. Also, like, uh, speaking of uh, Rana's weird political ambitions... I find it very strange that, like, we're we're, t- we're hearing about her needing to bring back the uh, Athena Parthenos in this chapter, mm-hmm. um, and this is kind of pitched as like instead of being like a magic item which will in some way prevent the war, the way it's pitched is like, um, oh no, this is like, this is a symbolic gesture that will uh, avert the conflict, and I don't understand how that that works.
1: My assumption is that it is gonna be just end up being some magic thing. Uh, I think so. I, I don't really see how, like... Here's how that would follow to mean a different story. Uh, the If the Greeks were the ones who were, like, encroaching and scary, and then the Romans recovered the statue, uh, and were like, hey, we got the statue back. Uh, it's for you, I guess. Uh, and then that unified them. That would make sense to me. But that's not really what this is. Yeah, no, this is... I don't... Okay, everyone at Camp
2: Half-Blood, none of them know what this statue is. None of them have even heard of it before now, because it was, like, a secret that was restricted only to a few children of Athena, most of whom died.
1: Yes, yeah. And
2: the Romans don't give a fuck about the statue, because even though some of them do know about it, uh, this is not about a statue, this is about the fact that the Greeks blew up a bunch of their buildings.
1: And we know that they have a legend about it, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's it's possible that this could just cut through everything it's more important than everything else i i wonder about its value like i i really do wonder if it does carry that much value and if it will be as easily solved as all that
2: yeah i, I hope i hope that there is like some reconciliation that doesn't just involve the statue at least
1: yeah because that would be kind of weak right yeah oh, i like uh i like one of uh, leo's leo's little leo lines here I think Jason is like, oh, and that means that Annabeth is still alive when he's reporting his dream to everyone. And Leo says like, oh, thank the gods and pass the hot sauce. And Frank is like, what does that mean? And Le- Leo's like, it means pass the hot sauce. I'm hungry. <laughs> Frank just Le- quietly
2: passes it to him. Leo's just out here being himself.
1: He is. I like it. I- <laughs> there There's a, a belief espoused here that I think is, has been brought up many times throughout the series, but I want to actually interrogate uh, within how this works from the book itself. Uh-huh. Uh, J- Jason specify, I think it's Jason says that Romans view gods appearing as a bad omen. And mm-hmm. I, how how do how do we feel that trucks uh, with the appearances of gods in this book in specific? because about trucks have you never heard the phrase truck with oh i see
2: i see that's what you mean
1: yeah yeah how does that how does that i guess i can't think of a different phrase than truck with how does that how does that vibe with i guess so (laughs) how does that how does that hold up compared to when the gods appear in this book which you know things like mars appearing before frank pluto appearing before hazel um what's her fuck appearing before hazel <laughs>
2: which which what's her fuck there's a couple of them there's aphrodite the magic one there's oh shit yeah what is the magic one? hecate hecate
1: uh hecate appearing before hazel like what do we feel that these are all bad omens
2: uh, no, sometimes they're pretty good omens. Thanatos appearing to Hazel was like, hey, I'm not gonna drag you back down to hell. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just in Jason's experience. In his experience, Hera showing up means that he's about to be, like, kidnapped from his family, or kidnapped from the Legion, or sent on a suicide mission.
1: I mean, that's true, right? Jason does have <laughs> consistently pretty bad experiences when the gods show up. Or Bacchus uh, but...
2: sitting there swigging Diet Coke while he gets killed by giants.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I think you could read this two ways, one of which is Jason is wrong here, and mm-hmm. because we are seeing all these things, like Frank being sort of commended by Mars, Hazel being commended by Pluto, that are, that are like, positive in nature. Or Jason could be right, and it adds a pretty big sense of foreboding to all of these, How like, just how many times this has happened in this book alone. Mm-hmm.
2: I think... I think it, we're probably supposed to take him at his word, just because like the, the the secondary function of these books has always been that they're kind of a bit of a, an edutainment situation. So I think like if he's if he's saying a thing about Roman culture, that's probably something that Rick Riordan believes is true.
1: I guess so. Yeah, that's that would fair.
2: My 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 reading of it.
1: Well, speaking of edutainment, should we talk about Diocletian?
2: Oh wait, first I just want to point out that. Um, Uh, When Jason, The specific way that Jason ends up knocked unconscious during a fight is that he, like, is fighting a wind spirit, gets knocked out by that, and then almost falls into the sea while having this dream before Piper wakes him up. Yeah. Uh, And then later on, after he's, like, talking about Raina, uh, he looks over at Piper and is like, I wonder if she's, like, using Aphrodite minor to make herself look more attractive right now. Uh, And Jason... That is not what's happening. You just almost fell into the ocean, you had a near death experience, and you're kinda horny.
1: Yeah, she saved your life. That that kind of (laughs) makes someone hotter. (laughs) Like you're talking about your ex in front of your current girlfriend. That makes you that will make you fumble your words. There doesn't have to be magic about it.
2: He talks about like how he doesn't think he'll be able to sleep for a week. You are just high on the adrenaline, my guy.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. He is (laughs) he is is attributing. No, absolutely. I I want to talk about how Diocletian is brought up here, though. Yeah, uh, because there it, it's really interesting. Have we ever had the word pagan used in this series? I don't think so. I think
2: generally, because paganism as a word is still like it's around and kind of in the same uh, lexicon as like parents who complain about books being take need to be taken out of libraries because of witchcraft, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and here Frank sa- Frank just straight up says Diocletian was the the last great pagan emperor,
2: which is, which is I guess one way to frame him.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess I don't I don't know too much about like Diocletian, the historical figure. Uh, do you? I have fairly, I have a fairly vague concept. I think
2: Diocletian was like not just the last great pagan empire emperor but he was i think the last one that like expanded the empire and kept it relatively stable and after he went uh, everything basically went to shit everywhere except the eastern roman empire
1: right right okay uh and w- which we know that rick riordan's view of empire is generally good right mm-hmm. uh uh, at least generally looking, there is a there is a fondness upon which the Roman impri- Empire is, like, looked back upon. Uh, so, and Frank is a character who, I guess, comes from this sort of lineage, and woulds would be like, oh yeah, the great Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's just very interesting to me to have him specifically framed as the last great pagan emperor. Especially because, like you say, he was he's still, like, a person who was out there expanding the empire, uh, but well, we get it. The picture we get of him here is one of a sort of a peaceful guy. He he steps down without like have like he steps down without having to be like assassinated or anything. He just does it of his own free will. Mm-hmm. And it we're we're drawing a picture here that I, I guess is is quite intriguing.
2: I also like the the very offhand way that Jason is like, "Oh, well, you know, he persecuted some Christians, but apart from that, he was pretty good." Uh-huh. And I got to say, I'm I'm still waiting on hearing the uh, the negatives of this guy.
1: <laughs> oh gosh yeah i i think the diocletian stuff that happens afterwards is largely like mostly just set dressing
2: yeah diocletian the ghost does not show up despite the fact that it's kind of hinted that that might happen
1: mm-hmm. I- i'm fine with that i think what yeah. happens is more interesting <laughs> oh yeah
2: definitely i think maybe that maybe the best thing that happens in these chapters is that uh, Nico uh, completes his transformation into Harrow and Nonagesimus the Ninth.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> There's, I, I've, only, I've still only read like half of that Gideon the Ninth book, but he has become this like, I, I'm i worried about him. I'm also worried
2: about him. He says the underground is his favorite place to be, which it shouldn't be after the events of Battle of the Labyrinth.
1: Jason observes that Nico is not eating a lot. Uh, he, Mm -hmm. he says like, he eats like a grape and he's like, well, there's Nico's meal for the day. That's really worrying. That's not good. He needs to eat more. Yes. I, it is being implied here that Nico does have an eating disorder and that is Mm -hmm. upsetting.
2: Yeah. It's, it's not great. Hopefully, hopefully they feed him properly.
1: I hope so. Uh, maybe he's eating all of it. Maybe he's just like, like, you know, like he's, he's doing the lonely kid thing of he's eating all of his meals in the bathroom. Uh-huh, yeah, that makes sense. He is
2: he is also still definitely reveling in being able to be like cool mysterious guy. Uh-huh. Like he's obviously Jason says that like, "Oh god, I wish I could put a bell around Nico's neck cuz he keeps coming up behind me." And I feel like it's very obvious that Nico is doing that on purpose just because Absolutely. he likes freaking people out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, you are very right when you say that he is Harrow like, uh, <laughs> because I think Harrow does the same thing in those books.
2: He's a little dweeb who really wants to be cool. Exactly. And is just intimidating enough that you can kind of pull it off.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's developed into that because, like, Percy was never scared of Nico, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, never really. He was he was never like intimidated the same way the rest of the crew is, which is yeah, no when. When Nico started being dark-sided, he
2: reacted mostly the way that you were talking about, like, Nico just a few minutes ago, where he was mostly like, you okay? Yeah. It seems like something's wrong with you.
1: Yeah, he showed, like, care and stuff, which I'm sure doesn't contribute to, like... I'm sure that doesn't contribute at all to what we learned about Nico's feelings towards Percy here. <laughs> uh, God, this is this is really... There's juicy stuff here. Mm-hmm. Did you know this was coming as soon as as we got like I I guess when did you know this was coming because I feel like it gets pretty obvious at a point but where when did you key in like oh okay uh, as
2: soon as as soon as Cupid comes up and Favonius is like yeah you're gonna have to face Cupid and Nico looks like he's just shattered a brick that's uh-huh. like oh no this is this is happening right now
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the as soon as he's like the one you cared for most plunged into Tartarus, and Jason get and Jason is all like, oh, of course, Annabeth. It's like, hmm, uh, this this is the kind of sentence that is written to be disproven. Who is putting
2: it about that Nico has a crush on Annabeth? Is it Annabeth I, Piper. herself? Because she believes that
1: Annabeth told Piper, and Piper told everyone else. Right. Okay. This is yeah, my. I think sense. this has to be it because <laughs> Jason learned about it from Piper, and. Piper and Annabeth are BFFs.
2: Yeah, Annabeth told her about it while stealing her breakfast.
1: <laughs> yeah, she told it about her. Told her to it while stuffing her into a locker. <laughs> <laughs> I love this completely imagined relationship we've created between the two of them. It's great. <laughs> There's a lot of just like good bits before that though Jason being like oh you know it must have been hard like I know Percy told me like you were in that hotel for like you know 70 years and stuff but it just felt like a month and Nico's like yeah I'm sure Percy told you all about me <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's 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 some psychology happening Nico oh my god Nico's fucked up about quite a lot of stuff he is he is So the reveal here that Nico uh, has a crush on Percy, not just that, but the way that it's framed is like Nico has found his true love in Percy Mm -hmm. uh, is incredibly, it's incredibly interesting because this is the first like LGBT character we've gotten in all of this series. How dare you? I'm forgetting someone.
2: This is Favonius
1: Erasure. This is Favonius, you're right, Favonius <laughs> says it first, but Nico showed up first. This
2: is true. I also, Fav- Favonius straight up does the, like, oh yeah, I was gonna date a guy, and then like leans in real close to Jason, is like, does that shock you?
1: Favonius Jason's just like, no. <laughs> F- Favonius is so cool. Uh, <laughs> he's like a fucked up angel, he's like a really normal angel, actually, uh, and I love his just, like, casual attitude that he has. He's just hanging out and eating ice cream. It's really good. Like he he doesn't really have like a headache. He gets a headache sometimes, but his sides his like Greek and Roman sides haven't really split. Uh, he he tells the story of Psyche and Cupid. Uh, and like he yeah he sa- he basically says like yeah I dated I I I liked a dude. You have a problem with that? And we get to learn what Jason thinks about gay people. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And you know what I have my issues with uh Jason's takes about
1: homeless people but I'm glad that he is at least
2: not homophobic. He's
1: not homophobic. He has a little bit of the like I see everyone equally. <laughs> or like or like bit. not or not even that but like you know gods are already weird what's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah, he is he is a supportive guy here which I really appreciate. I'm glad. Uh, it's it's interesting in Nico's like coming out chapter, I guess to have Jason be the point of view character. What do you think about that? I think,
2: I mean, I I suppose it makes sense because this is kind of framed as a twist. And if it uh-huh. was from Nico's perspective, it'd be a lot harder to like write around uh, his feelings about Percy until we get there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's doable. People write books like that every single day, but it,
2: but if you've got more characters, you might as well take the opportunity to not have to.
1: Yeah, basically, right? And Jason... Jason is maybe the character who... He's maybe the most removed from Nico. Yeah, I'd say so. Which means that, like... He's kind of the pers- the perfect person for Nico to come out to a little bit.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the- there there is that element kind of i mean because this isn't something that nico does by choice obviously but there is an element with some coming out stuff of like i'm worried that this will fuck up my close personal relationships but i don't really give too much of a shit about my relationship with you so i'm less concerned
1: yeah it's a testing (laughs) ground right this is a this is actually a pretty common thing that people do in real life but i mean like you said nico doesn't really choose to come out here he is kind of outed
2: which is i don't know there's there's I'm a little conflicted about this, because on the one hand, the first major queer character in the series, being intr- that element being introduced by them being, like, traumatically outed is not great, Uh-huh. But on the other hand, I completely understand how that, like, that absolutely works for, like, who Nico is and who he's been up until now. Like, it makes sense that he is not at peace with those feelings at all, and it kind of needs to get dragged out of him. <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah, that is who Nico is, like you said. And I think if I if I had to negatively co- if I had to compare it to something which I I think people would view more negatively than this scene, um I would actually go to X-Men comics. Uh mm. I do, do you know about this when uh all the like teenage or, original X-Men come to the future and meet their like uh current day counterparts?
2: I did not know about this.
1: So there's a storyline where this happens and I think teenage gene gray reads Iceman's mind and kind of just says to everyone oh shit he's gay <laughs> oh jesus uh like basically outs him in front of like all of the x-men and everyone thanks gene yeah and this this leads to sort of a like revelation on the parts of both like teenage Iceman and uh like current day one uh, which, is, it, it it kind of, it leads to some interesting stuff, but it is, like, horribly executed in the beginning, right?
2: Which is, the revelation that they come to is that Jean sucks, don't tell her anything.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, she gets the Phoenix Force and fucking rewrites reality so that everyone has... I, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> never mind, this is not an X-Men podcast. Uh, but, yeah, this is... Nico, I think this is a bit better than that, because... The way that the gods work in this series is as an obstacle to overcome, often one involved with like your internal like struggles.
2: Yeah, they're not here to provide a safe and supportive environment. They they tend to fuck with you in all things, including this.
1: Right. And in many respects they are they act less as characters and more as like wheels to spin yourself around on. Mhm. <laughs> yeah. So it feels a little bit less like some sort of like, like an interpersonal outing and more as this is an event that Nico has to do to get that out at all. Uh, But I, 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 I like that Rick Riordan isn't shy, shying away from like Nico is a kid from the thirties. Like he would have some, he would have like a lot of internalized homophobia. He
2: was raised in like a relatively well-off family in fascist Italy. (laughs) Yes. He is gonna have some internal issues with the fact that he's queer.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um and I I think I I like that choice. I, I I'm glad that we are getting that. Because it I think it just makes sense with who Nico is.
2: Yeah. And I also I, I like it as kind of like spotlighting the idea of like historical queerness. Yes. Cuz this chapter gives us Favonius who is like in ancient Greek mythical times, uh, obviously queer and also, you know, Nico who was born 70 fucking years before this happened. Yes. Is, yes it's yes. it's always nice to acknowledge that.
1: Yeah, it's nice to acknowledge like the progression of this. Like not not just progression even, like the declination, I guess. Like Favonius is a guy from fucking ancient times and like nobody gives a shit right like he is Mm -hmm. like he 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 loves this guy named hyacinthus and apollo does too actually we we get apollo spotlighted here as another character uh and but then we go to the 30s and it's like uh uh, nope actually i have a lot of bad feelings about that uh and then we go to present day and jason's like love is love man
2: (laughs) (laughs) jason does have a love wins bumper sticker
1: he does, but God, they—they <laughs> they should put—he should put a fucking coexist sign on the back of the Argo too. <laughs> uh,
2: I'm talking on it a little, but Jason is genuinely like nice and supportive, and crucially says to Nico, like, "I don't think anybody is gonna have a problem with this, but I'm gonna keep my mouth shut until you tell me otherwise."
1: Yes, I love that. I really do like. I I love a good like. <laughs> That's just like it's caught it's it's something you wanna hear during a scene like this. Absolutely. That that's another thing. The the sort of forced outing element of it, it's it's only to Jason. Like Nico doesn't have to like this isn't to everyone on the crew, this isn't to like yeah. everyone at camp. Uh it's just Jason, and Nico gets to sort of set the terms there, uh like afterwards, which I appreciate. Absolutely. And it is still this this definitely is not
2: treated as like yeah this is this is how uh coming out to your friends should go. This is definitely yes. treated as like something fairly horrible and traumatic that Nico has gone through which like has visibly upset him.
1: Yeah, because Cupid sort of the Asian of all of this is fucking scary. We, we we haven't talked a lot about it, but Cupid is maybe like the scary one of the scariest encounters we've had in a while and dangerous too.
2: Yeah, no, this is this is an encounter where Jason doesn't get immediately knocked out and is able to, like, operate at, like, full big three power level, whatever the fuck he's on. Uh, and he still struggles against Cupid.
1: Yeah, the description of, like, arrows appearing as if they were shot a while, but, like, appearing right before someone's chest. Like, like an, a, an arrow that only appears when it is, like, right about to enter Nico's chest. Mm-hmm. Uh and, like, Jason having to, like, lunge at the last moment to strike it out of the air. That, that, ki- that kind of detail really makes this seem just utterly, like, almost hopeless. Like, they have to, like, they have to confront whatever is inside of themselves. Yeah, as well as that, another bit that I really liked was, um, because Cupid is invisible for most
2: of the fight, uh, Jason kind of starts to try and, like, get him talking and track him by where his voice is, which is, like, that's really smart in a good way through this and it also doesn't work that cupid is just too fast
1: he's he's this is represented partially at least at the start uh, uh a little bit by like he has this omnipresent feeling because when they get to the ruins where they do the fight uh as soon as like favonius says cupid's name it's like the ruins speak it back like they mm. all start to like they just like everything around them starts to whisper cupid 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 and that really establishes a tone for this that i enjoy
2: yeah the, the the represent the godly representations of romantic love in this series all seem to be completely sociopathic uh
1: like are you talking about the incredibly like fucked up tale of uh psyche and cupid or the incredi- or the incredibly fucked up tale of favonius and hyacinthus uh
2: those and also annabeth remembering uh aphrodite treating her real love life like a soap opera
1: yes yeah like (laughs) there there are very few instances of like a wholesome romantic thing going on with involving gods
2: no it's usually pretty sleazy
1: i want to go a bit more in depth because we talked about how we feel about like the circumstances around nico being outed coming out um I want to talk more in depth about, like, how do we, what do we feel about that for Nico's character and specifically having a crush on Percy? Mm, yeah.
2: I think this definitely is going to be, like, this is re- it recontextualizes a lot of what we know about Nico. Because up until now, we've, if we're taking the position of, like, a reader who doesn't know this is coming, the assumption is that he's kind of, he's fucked up and angsty because he has a fairly tragic backstory where his, his mom died, Bianca died, his dad hates him. He doesn't really have a lot of friends or anything else going on so he's very withdrawn and this kind of recontextualizes a lot of that into like what will probably end up being like an arc about him coming out of that because he's coming more to terms with like the part part of himself that he's like like quite repressed and kind of quite self-loathing about
1: yeah yeah the nico becoming like a dweller of the underworld has never really been shown as a positive thing Mm -hmm. uh even though he is developing into a person in a way, like it is not a person that the book like looks super kindly upon, uh, or never really frames as like, this is a Nico is coming into his own. Like it never really frames it like that. Yeah. Uh, So he has been, he has had this sort of stilted, uh, or like halted arc, uh, that it seems like he might be, like you said, he might be coming out of, uh, not to, you know, use (laughs) (laughs) double use terms. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense that he would have a crush on Percy. I think it is, like, the reasons he would uh, are outlined well in these chapters for, like, the readers who might be like, no, no, this this doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, like, uh, I think, yeah, Jason sees,
2: like, into Nico's mind, kind of, because of, like, Cupid's magic, and sees a lot of, um, like, kind of uh, Nico's hero worship of Percy when they first met. And like uh, Nico, even after Bianca dies, not being able to bring himself to like hurt him, let the skeletons hurt him, and like killing them before he runs off at the end of Titan's Curse. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it it it's all good. It makes sense, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think Rick Riordan, you've you've done a you've done a good one for the LGBT community here.
2: Yeah. Also, I shouldn't be understated. Just a a cool thing to do. Yeah. always has been and always will be
1: yeah it's just cool to make your characters queer mm-hmm I mean I know it will happen more as the series goes on and I'm incredibly excited for that because I think that in a series that is so much about uh, I mean largely up to this point although it's kind of been not as focused on in the heroes of Olympus largely about like uh, kids with disabilities kids with like learning disabilities especially uh, mm-hmm. being sort of pushed to the margins uh, and having to like not people who don't fit into traditional schooling uh systems sort of being like finding a place for themselves, you want to
2: have extremely uh, fraught relationships with their parents.
1: yes, this is a series that is especially suited to having these char- like queer characters and mm-hmm. i I'm glad that that's finally happening i i It makes me genuinely happy,
2: yeah, and there is also like. Again to go back to like the the nature of how this chapter goes the fact that this is so like tied into like Nico as a character means that it doesn't it doesn't also doesn't feel like cynical it doesn't,
1: it doesn't feel doesn't, like it's not <laughs> just
2: happening for brownie points this is like a thing that has been thought through and even like foreshadowed a little bit a book prior about where this character ended up and where he's going
1: yeah like I, I won't say that Rick Riordan had this planned out from the beginning or anything like that because Probably I don't not. really think that's true. Uh, but I like, like it was foreshadowed last, but when the stuff with like, oh, I, uh, Nico, he totally had a crush on Annabeth. Like I, I think as soon mm-hmm. as that all that started, and we were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like Rick Riordan <laughs> pr- must have known by then. Yeah. Uh but so yeah, I, 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 I had a lot of. Just a very good time with these Jason chapters. Uh, do do we want to talk a bit about the Annabeth ones? Do we have more to say about it, about the J- Jason chapters?
2: Did we read different chapters this week? I thought it was just these four.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: uh, let me have a let me have a quick look at my notes. I yeah, there's not a lot to say. Oh, I have another thing uh-huh. to say about the Jason chapters. Please, yes. Uh, which is, while the focus is mostly on Nico, there is some stuff going on with Jason here.
1: Yes, 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 yes.
2: Where like um, he's getting really needled about like um, his insecurities about like his relationship with Piper, which is obviously about like his doubts about what happened with Rayna, and also like um, his uh, insecurity in like a leadership role in the Roman Legion, where Favonius um, uh, I think talks about like um, well you don't need the scepter, you don't need to bother with it because you need a, a child of the Underworld to raise the ghosts, and then you need a proper Roman leader to actually command them. And you're not that Jason.
1: Yes. Jason is not to be overshadowed here by Nico. He mm. is also having, having an incredibly interesting... Uh, I mean, it, it would be more interesting if they were like, and Jason, you're also gay. Like, that would be cool too. Um what <laughs> makes everything more interesting. Yeah, exactly. Like, bisexual Jason, come on. Uh, but, I mean, it's bisexual Nico. Yeah, bisexual Nico. Uh, but yeah, he, he does still have, like, this... Him getting... Him, like for the first time maybe having like he's kind of challenged this idea about himself uh, but not too much having this idea of being this leader this proper Roman leader interrogated is really good you know what I've just noticed what's that?
2: like you're saying Jason is having this idea of well does he even need to be the leader kind of interrogated uh, during the chapters where they're chilling out um, at the, the house of the guy who retired from being a Roman leader and went to do something else
1: uh huh oh 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 yeah 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 you're right huh (laughs) oh
2: that might be some foreshadowing
1: i mean this ties into just a lot of stuff that's happened around jason this ties into like Mm -hmm. him saying he doesn't really know jason's arc seems to be that he needs to learn how to not be a leader right i would Uh, like that to be
2: where it goes yeah
1: at least that if i'm assuming that like the conversation he had with piper last book mattered uh (laughs) That that feels like sort of the keystone for a lot of this, uh, and I mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes going forward because I want I want Jason, I I I think Jason is a really interesting character and I I really want to see where he goes. Jason um, has
2: eaten so much shit and he needs to stop doing that.
1: <laughs> I'm fine if he keeps eating shit, but it, it, I want it to be interesting.
2: No no what, what, what I mean is like in in the sense of like he continues to just like eat shit when he's told to by the gods
1: yes yes that's right i mean and another element here is that it's it's put to nico like oh you have sort of found your true love uh or like a true love mm. uh i don't know if the same is said to jason is it
2: uh i actually uh what keep it says to jason is the um like you found your true love or have you do you still have doubts about that
1: right right so even that i think that brings up a little bit of what we were talking about with like jason this sort of relationship with jason and piper started with with him just sort of being accepting passively Mm -hmm. and so i think we are yet to see him fully interrogate that even though it kind of feels like we did i think in mark of athena
2: i think there's definitely still going to be more to it i don't think we ever really got a resolution to especially like piper's feelings of like feeling kind of disconnected from jason like she couldn't talk to him
1: yeah we we've talked about their their college years on Uh here um and so i i I guess i i guess we'll have to see where that goes
2: but we ended up having a very interesting conversation about this uh which is kind of funny given that i just came into that point wanting to be like well uh jason doesn't seem like he's going to be a leader for much longer Who else do we know on the Argo who is like Roman and has like a whole leadership arc that very little has been done with so far who could maybe end up using the scepter
1: Oh, oh, is that what you were saying? Yeah Oh, I totally, I I don't know, my brain has skipped over it entirely No,
2: I think we had a much more interesting conversation than me just making a prediction about what would happen
1: I think that, I mean, it's. it could be Frank, right? Probably Frank Probably Frank, could be fucking, I guess it could be a lot of people Could be Frank, could be Hazel Actually, I guess Hazel's, it's those two people. Hazel's already
2: got her magic thing going on.
1: Yeah, I, I want it to be Frank. Frank needs to be the leader. Frank, Frank has been done dirty.
2: He has I been think, on this book. He's been on kind of kind of an upward trajectory, and I hope that continues. I by hope giving so. Giving him a ghost, uh, spectre, a specter, a scepter summoning specter. No, fuck.
1: A, s- a specter summoning scepter. That's the one. Don't be a hater. Vote Frank for Prater. <laughs>
2: Uh, I need, I need, like, 2008 Obama-style Hope posters just with Frank's face on them.
1: (laughs) That'd be very good. (laughs) Uh, So let's talk briefly about the Annabeth chapters. There's not a lot to go through
2: here. Okay, I think the most important thing to get out of the way with these chapters, uh, every, every place they've been on Tartarus has been figured as, like, uh, a body part. What is this swamp? What does that represent? (laughs)
1: and annabeth pretty much just says it it is the intestines they are they are going down they're they are going down to the great big asshole of tartarus see my i i
2: I don't know i don't know if i believe that i think swamp to me evokes like swamp ass okay i think i think they're in his ass crack
1: oh god that's yucky i mean i guess either way that would mean they're going down to the great big asshole of tartarus this
2: is true. One way or another, that's where
1: that's how you get back to the real world, actually. Is you have to go through that. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, it's like a very bad Pinocchio reversal. <laughs> I mean, because we get here that Annabeth says that the the area they're going through stinks of sewage. Uh, that's true. Is very, I guess, evocative either way. This is yucky. Yeah, it it's is so yucky. It wipe. <laughs> God, it's gross. <laughs> I guess he can't, right? We can't blame him for that. There, he doesn't have like traditional body movement in that way. No, that's
2: true. This is the um, curse of the Olympians. He can't wipe.
1: Born to shit, forced to wipe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bob, Bob here has he is slowly iapetizing a little bit more and more, but also like he is. He he's like when Annabeth is like, how much longer? He's like almost too long, which is like what a fucking line. Uh, <laughs> but but then but he's still having his moments. Uh, like when when the when the good giant shows up and Annabeth's all like, uh, Bob, you want to introduce us? And he's like, Annabeth, this is Percy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Bob. I love Bob. He's he's definitely becoming more Iapetus pilled, but like he's clearly still like. I'm optimistic from these chapters that it's not going to be a complete return to, like, evil dickback titan.
1: Yeah, it's Silly Boy Sunday with him. <laughs> it is. And we get the return of a, a pretty deadly monster uh, from mostly seen in uh, PJL, the Dracon. Uh The most, uh,
2: fittingly, for after uh, Nico comes out, the most homophobic monster in Percy Jackson.
1: Because it fucking killed Silena
2: exactly it's bullshit
1: god god i it's i actually this is one of my more this is another uh sort of the beginning of chapter 38 where annabeth talks about how beautiful the dracon is and like how mm. that beauty is so just like it's not inspiring to see but it's actually kind of demoralizing that the most beautiful thing she has seen in all of tartarus is this monster that's about to kill her yeah um uh, i not
2: doing too good
1: no, no. Her, her, her true love is fucking crying and dying and like <laughs> wants her to help him so bad, but she can't do anything. Uh, but you know who can help him? Damason. This guy. This guy. We don't, we don't know a lot about this guy yet, except that he's, he's the good giant. He's a little Jesus-y. Is is he a little Jesusy? I don't I don't know. He's like he's got like long hair and a beard, and he's like he's like his hair is like braided with like flowers and grass instead of like skulls and teeth and knives and shit. Hmm. I I guess that's what Jesus. I don't know what I'm saying here. Jesus he's, killed one dragons famously. Uh huh. Jesus killed, <laughs> Jesus tore the meat from the hide of dragons constantly. <laughs> there's probably, like, a Bible verse about some shit. I mean, there, there's probably some part in Dante about that, that, like, the dragon of Satan having the flesh rended by the hand of Jesus or whatever. See, this is why Diocletian was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, And it kind of ends with just, like, an incredibly classic sort of line, like, very Lord of the Ringsy, like, you encounter a big, weird guy in the forest, in the swamp, yeah. and... He tells you like before we before we parlay, let us have a meal like that is that is very classic let's eat so let's eat some
2: Dracon so that we have some action to frame this dialogue around
1: uh-huh <laughs> uh do you have much else to say with these chapters or should we wrap it up? I think we should wrap it up all right wait wait oh wait sorry, tell me
2: I just realized we we cannot of all weeks forget to do it this week.
1: we cannot forget to do not so set we. I think I think we have to both give it to Nico this
2: week. Do we? I feel like this I mean this is why we started doing this segment, right? Yeah, <laughs> it we is. I knew this was coming. We I feel did. like this is his day.
1: Happy Nazis Het day to Nico. <laughs> but also in honor of Nico, we have to also give it to two more characters. Oh. Uh I'm going to give mine to Favonius. Uh the other the other canonical one i guess uh who is who not just uh doesn't is is like big like gay trans mask swag Mm -hmm. yeah talks a lot about like the the shift like uh like how can you mortals be comfortable in one body for your whole life you must shift through the air uh very 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 ethereal stuff also he he did kill his lover uh so there's some problematic queer rep there
2: (laughs) uh i think i think i'll go for some even more problematic queer rep uh i'll go for apollo Uh
0: uh-huh
2: who (laughs) given given what we've just learned about him and everything that we know about him from like the diary of luke castle and stuff like this uh definitely seems like a gay guy and definitely seems like the kind of gay guy who would join the lgb alliance
1: Christ <laughs> we, we need to put him through those fucking trials right now absolutely he needs to go on trial god uh, but yes <laughs> our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony you can find that at OSU Remix our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter we're hosted by the Moonshot Network you can find them at moonshotpods.com or goodfuckingpodcasts.com if you want to find us, you can go to Twitter, Twitter.com/unwisegirls, uh, where we've got links to our email, our social medias, our Discord server. We have posts about when we are when we put out episodes, and we also have visual companions on occasion. As well, if you want to support us, you can leave a five-star rating interview on your podcast app of choice. You can tell a friend about us. That one really helps. Or you can support us with a little bit of uh, monetary assistance by going to patreon.com slash unwise girls, where for a dollar a month you can get the discord role of Camp Counselor. For three dollars a month, you can get the discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content.
2: Yep, if you want to hear us talking about fucking the 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 best the best acting maybe that Toby Stevens has done pre-becoming Poseidon. Uh, listen to the bonus show because we talk about that on our black sail section.
1: Also just gonna give it a just gonna give it a quick uh, prediction. Probably the best uh, acting he's done post Poseidon also. Uh,
2: probably. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and for five dollars a month, you can get our Discord uh, role of Venus is chosen all of our bonus content and a special thank you at the end of every episode.
2: Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank uh, Simcoe, I Love Sammy's Great, uh, Danny, Tana, Mercy, Veronica Friend, Bree, and Erica.
1: Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode, see you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Bye!
3: 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Andrew, Andrew, what are you doing? Oh, hey, Marn. Uh, so I'm playing through an alternate reality game, and there's a number station puzzle that we just can't solve. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I tried everything else, and I figured that the best way to solve it would be to get into its head and think like a number station. I've been saying numbers into microphones for hours.
0: Okay, well, I, I think I have a better idea. What's that? You could just listen to the Argonauts podcast every two weeks. I can let you know the ins and outs of old Args and give you a deep dive on how they were created.
3: Uh, do you think we could like have a nuanced discussion about game making philosophy and how cultures around games have changed as well?
0: Yeah, and you can definitely continue to fail to solve old Args along the way.
3: Well, it sure would be cool if that was a podcast you could find bung with a bunch of other great shows over on the Moonshot Network.
0: You know, it sure would.
3: <laughs> well, cool. Thanks for the invite. Uh, anyways, I'm going to get back to this though. 23, 19.
0: Okay.